keep I keep watching it, and I think I'm gonna like understand it more. But you know, uh, it's super cute. Lessons from the farm, uh, kind of where we're at in a series of thinking about the stories that Jesus tells, or the allegories, uh, or the analogies uh, related to farming, or related, you know, to things around farming, teach us something. And so we're in the series talking about that. Uh, my name's Josh, I'm a partner here at Westwoods, and so just really, that means I just come here and hang out at church, and uh, like many of you, and have the honor and privilege uh, to share with you today. Uh, but I don't know about you, it's been kind of quite a, a week. Started the week on Monday, I, I performed a great graveside service, kind of ended the week on Friday with a, a wedding celebration that I attended. Had to work on Saturday, didn't get Sabbath. During the week, like four kids passed sickness to one another, making no nights of sleep, getting rejected from my Denver Nuggets cheerleading squad tryout. Like it's been a real, it's been a real doozy of a week. And I, maybe, maybe you feel like that. Maybe your week was five times worse. Wherever we find you this morning, I just really wanted to start with a deep breath. So for all of us to be able to take this deep breath. And so if you would take this breath with me as we pray uh, just for our time this morning. And Father, we pray that as we open your word, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Jesus, we pray as we learn more about the words that you said, the invitation you give. That our hearts and our lives would be open and willing to respond. In spirit, we pray. Just that you move and illuminate the things in our hearts and our lives and our wills, our desires that might be outside of your will and your desires. And so we give you this time, we give you this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. So today we're uh, in John 15, so if you want to grab your Bibles and, and open up to John, it's towards the back, uh, the ones in the seats, the page number 752. And we're kind of in this farewell discourse of Jesus in John uh, chapters 13 through 16. It's kind of Jesus' final remarks in John 15, uh, Jesus was really preparing uh, the disciples for a major transition. He had just washed their feet. He led them through the Last Supper. And uh, we come to the final I am saying in John. They, John uses these, this literary style to do these I am sayings to describe Jesus. Does anyone know any of the other I am sayings? It's okay, they're in there. You can look at them this week. Like, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am light of the world. And so we're in this part where this is the final I am statement that John is emphasizing. In chapter 14, right before this, uh, the concept of mutual indwelling was just introduced to believers. And Jesus said in verse 14, 20, he said, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. So 
for the first time, uh, the disciples are hearing this like togetherness of what it means to have uh, life in Jesus. So he now poses this kind of example so that they can kind of understand it from a new form. He wants to expand upon what he just said in 14 and what he really means. So he uses farm language with things that uh, the disciples would know. They would have been familiar with vines and vineyards. Um, and more than that, as, as Jewish men, they would have understood the vine and the vin- vineyard as symbols for Israel as used throughout scripture. And so this is where we find ourselves in John 15, one through eight. So I'm gonna read this for us now. This is the word of the Lord. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So kind of how we're gonna walk through this, I'll walk through this a little bit verse by verse and then we'll get to the end and we'll say, so what? Like, how does this apply to us? We'll talk about like the roles. I think the roles are incredibly important to classify. What's God's role? What's, G- what's Jesus's role? What's our role? So verse one, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener or the vine grower. You know, perhaps at some point before they got to the last supper, they were walking through Jerusalem, saw a nice vineyard. Maybe Jesus pointed out the vines to them, uh, which were beginning a season of growth. If we saw those vines, we would have seen signs that a vine grower had been at work. Vines that were cut, that were pruned, that were cleaned, that were precise, ready to grow. It was a part of their culture of what, what they knew. And viticulture, or the caring for grapevines, was an integral aspect of this first century Jewish life. Um, it was a part of their diet. It was part of what they had. And there, there was an aspect that this was known by the disciples. But more than that, as Jewish men, uh, they would have understood in that time and culture, and the readers would have understood that when Jesus is saying these things, that the vine in the vineyard is a concept that God's used to talk about um, his people and what it means to be rooted for a long time. We see in Isaiah 5, this example. This is uh, the song of the vineyard in Isaiah 5, 1 through, 1 through 7. So it says, or verses, the first two verses say, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile, fertile hillside. He dug it up, cleaned it of stones, and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad 
fruit. And he ends on seven. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. So again, this image that Jesus is bringing up to them, this is one that they've heard before. But, but something changes. That it's no longer God's people, Israel, Judah, that are the vine. That Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. There's a change in God's garden. Verse two, he says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So the gardener, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. See, the divine gardener, the vine dresser does two things to ensure maximum fruit production. He removes unfruitful branches and he prunes others. And fruit, this idea of fruit, and Rick talked a little bit about this last week, it's an image for good results coming from the life of the vine or the seed or the tree or whatever is producing. And we'll continue to define fruit, but as we read this, it's thinking about fruit as benefiting the lives of others and advancing the work of God in the world. Verse four, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So we get to the word in the passage that, you know, if you've been around church for any time, you've probably heard abide in me, remain in me. And this is where it's from. It's this Greek word meno. It means not to depart, to continue to be present with. It's this idea of togetherness, of locking in, of not leaving away from. Meno, abide in me, remain in me. That no branch can bear fruit on its own. If it's just a branch, we call that a stick, right? It's, it's by itself not able to, that fruit comes from the connection of the vine. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, Jesus describes the disciples and for us, he tells us, you're the branches. When he says, apart from me, you can do nothing, he doesn't mean that there's not a way to be apart from the vine because we see people all the time that have no affiliation to a faith that's beyond this present life. And they can be successful and they can have families and they can fill up a calendar very easily. What he's talking about, apart from me, they can do nothing. The nothing that he's referring to is he's talking about this idea of fruit-bearing eternal significance. So apart from me, they can do nothing. Apart from me, they cannot have fruit-bearing eternal significance. So now we kind of know everyone's role in the garden. It's kind of clarified after verse five. Here's everyone's role. Jesus is the true vine. 
God's the vine grower, the gardener, the owner. Disciples of Jesus are branches. The vineyard belongs to God. He's in charge of it, cares for it, and is concerned about maximum return, receiving as much fruit as possible. Here's verse six and seven. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So we see two responses to the call of remaining. If you don't remain, you're thrown into the fire. If you do remain, the call is union with Jesus. And that union with Jesus, it uses this idea of uh, his, Christ's words, remaining in you, that you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is the idea of our wills as we're united and in union with Jesus, becoming aligned with God's will. That when we ask that the desires of our union with Jesus in our heart are also the desires of God. And if God's people truly remain in Jesus, they will desire what he desires and will pray according to his words. And those prayers will be pleasing to him. And these prayers will be in union with him and his will. And then the capstone verse, this goes to verse eight. This is kind of closing up the vineyard. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That God is glorified not by praise and worship alone, but by the followers also bearing much fruit for the advancement of of his kingdom on earth. Life change, transformation. That fruit bearing is evidence of being Jesus's disciple. Right, and I think we know this conceptually, but let's think about it just from this vine vineyard example. Has anyone been to wine country or to Napa, Napa Valley? Okay, a few, a few people. Now imagine if you go out to Napa Valley and you show up at this vineyard and you're going to do a tour. You start walking down all the rows of the lattices and everything where all the vines are. And you're looking around and you're like, where's, where's the grapes? I don't see any grapes in the uh, the, the winekeeper, the, the, the farmer of the vineyard, the, the man in charge, the owner turns to you and says, well, actually, at our vineyard, we don't focus on grapes. We like to see how wide we can get the foliage to grow. We like the leaves to be really full. Um, you know, we're not super worried about the grapes. And you're like, well, why are there all these, like, dead branches in here? The, well, we actually don't clear out the dead branches. We like it to look full. We like it to look really like we've done our job well, like we've grown as much as we can. You're like, what about the grapes? Like, what is the point? You're in Napa Valley where the acreage is the most expensive in the country for the soil and you don't care about the fruit, right? So there's this idea for this passage and Jesus uses this, that fruit. This is the desired result. So now we get to the part of like breaking this down, the so what, and we're gonna talk about roles and we're gonna talk about what's God's role. I think this is super important to look at. What's 
his role in this passage, what's Jesus's role in this passage, and then what's our role in this passage. And I love the role clarity a little bit because I'm sometimes tempted to think as I hear something, I'm like, oh, this is my vineyard. I'm the owner of this, that it's my land, it's my job, my ministry. And I think for a lot of us, sometimes we can get in the default mode that we're the main character of the story. That it's about my ability to produce great kids, that it's about my group or my time or my resources, that everything is mine and that I'm in control. And talking about his role and our role is super important to understand. That this potentially could or should empower us as we know what we can do and what we can't do. And so let's talk about his role. God, the vine grower, the gardener, who's actively doing his job, right? In these eight verses describing God's work, we see these verbs. So the the verbs that are used of God doing his work are active, he removes, he prunes, he gathered, thrown, and burned. In John 15, Jesus is painting this picture of a fruitfulness in stark contrast to the Old Testament Israel and its lack of fruitfulness. See, Jesus, Jesus has a vision of this new community of disciples abounding. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. And it's the vine grower, the gardener, that is actively doing this job to cultivate the fruit. And it's important to understand that the vine holds the vitality and ultimate responsibility to produce fruit on the plant. And we see this as it's talking about the vine bearing fruit. And bearing fruit is repeated six times in these seven verses that our vine grower, God, has a sole focus on wanting to see fruit, not just a little fruit, but much fruit, an abundance of fruit. And this is abounding in fruit. Again, the vineyard owner, there's a goal. It's to produce grapes. And we talked last week about reaping what you sow, the idea of planting seeds and getting from that a harvest or a product or fruit and Rick defined fruit a little bit as well, and thinking about fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. And that fruit is having people in our lives becoming disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Fruit is growing in Christ-likeness and helping others grow in Christ-likeness. Fruit is bringing hope to the broken and the hurting, the power of the gospel. Fruit is anything that points you or others towards the redeeming power of Christ. One one commentary says, fruit symbolizes that which is at the heart of both Christian witness and Christian ethics, union with God. And so it's this both. It's this an ability to share what the gospel is and having people hear and discover what relationship in Jesus is like and its internal transformation of becoming more like Christ. We talk about the the role of the vine to produce this fruit. 
we also need to acknowledge the role um, of the gardener in pruning. And uh, I researched pruning a little bit. Again, I'm not a farmer, so I researched this. And Gary Deckinson, he has this PhD in viticulture. He's also a Bible teacher um, at a college. This is what he had to say about pruning. So hear this, and then let's, let's talk about how this applies to us. Pruning of the vineyards occurred at two principal times during the year. Immediately following the harvest, the grapes were pruned severely in the fall and all leaves were stripped from the plants to induce dormancy. Spring trimming of vines was practiced before blooming as well as after. The severe pruning in the early dormant season involves the reduction of the plants to their appropriate number of growing points, the buds. Later, the spring removal of shoots reflects the process of ensuring that the plant is not allowed to grow too slowly by spreading its energy among the large number of suckers and water sprouts that appear on the main trunk as well as the fruiting branches. So you have this idea of pruning two times a year. One before winter to reduce the amount of energy for the plant to be able to uh, survive the next hard and long season. And then you have the idea in the spring when the uh, blossoms would come out that you look at the, at the plant, at the vine, and you say, let's trim back the branches that don't have blossoms so that the plant can focus its energy to send all of its energy to the blossoms to make good fruit. And we can talk about pruning theoretically, but if we think about us being the branches... It, and if you've ever been at a time in your life where you feel like this was happening, it can be hard and painful and exhausting. It's why we have psalms that cry out, why me, Lord? Why now, Lord? Because there's an aspect of pruning that is hard. And imagine, right, like if you're that branch and you don't have the large picture in mind of, you know, the health of the plant of making it through winter and those shears come out, right? And those shears are looking right at you like, this is gonna be hard. This is gonna be painful. Some of this is going away without the big picture of what's in mind, either to preserve through a hard and difficult time of winter or to maximize connection with the vine to get the best fruit. Pruning is short-term painful, but long-term beneficial. So as we experience pruning and long to abound in the years to come, our task is to trust God, the vine grower, and his leading by remaining and by abiding. Again, pruning is short-term painful for long-term beneficial. So now let's get to our role. This is our role in this allegory. Uh, I'm an eight on the Enneagram, and I don't know if you know much about the Enneagram. But let me tell you what I think of when I hear this, because uh, I kind of maximize. I kind of think about okay, the goal is to maximize fruit. Okay, Th this is the end goal, and I think I'm like, oh, I could be the Jamba Juice vending machine of maximizing fruit production. 
Okay, how much, how much maximization do you want? You want half a dozen, 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 dozens. How much fruit would you like? And then it's like, okay, what kind of fruit would you like? Strawberries, watermelon, bananas, passion fruit, apples. Okay, you want apples. Okay, what kind of apples? Honey, crisp, gala, granny, smith, golden, delicious. Like in my head, this is where I go. You want fruit? Let me help you get there. But Jesus states our role pretty clearly. We are the branches, and branches don't tell the vine grower what to do or how to do his job. A good branch simply trusts in the vine grower. Trust that he knows what's best as he works in the vineyard. Trust that the call to remain is what leads to maximizing fruit. And when we look at the verbs that relate to the disciples' work, we only see one verb. And that's remain. And it's repeated 11 times. In fact, Jesus says the only thing that we can do is remain. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, this is the idea of being in union with. And Jesus challenges those of us who like our independence, who like being in control. And says what will help us become better branches is not to be in control but to renounce control, to trust the vine grower, to trust the vine to do its work. Another way to think about this verb remaining or abiding is this idea of having deep roots in Jesus. And Jesus shares that it's impossible to abound without these deep roots, that it's impossible for me to produce any fruit apart from being deeply rooted in him. See, we need Jesus the vine. The external environment around us, a scorching sun, polluted water, weeds, insects, disease, can stunt growth if we aren't connected to Jesus the vine. Jesus says to remain, to maintain these deep roots in him. And putting these deep roots in Jesus means allowing the things of Jesus to fill our minds to direct our wills, and to transform our desires. One of the present-day saints that lives among us, uh, Yuri, uh, was describing abiding remaining at, at this wedding that we were at on, that, that, that we were at on Friday, and, and this is what he said. He said, we remain by tethering our hearts to the Lord, and we do that by spending time in his word and with his people and doing the things the Lord our God asks of us. More simply, this is the work of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did. So being deeply rooted requires intentionality. It requires not simply believing in Christ, but being in union with him, having Jesus' words constantly at hand, sharing his thoughts, emotions, and mind. It requires praying for his purposes rather than our purposes. This This remaining to be deeply rooted is facilitated through the practice of spiritual disciplines to build deeper roots in Christ through Sabbath, through scripture, through silence and solitude, through prayer and time with God and healthy community and relationships. These are the things that Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount 
when he said, this is what it means to be my disciple, to follow me. This is the way that I'm bringing. And he gives Matthew 4 through 7, this is what living looks like, to be deeply rooted. And then at the end of 7, he says, go and do, practice these things. Now, it's one thing to hear this as allegory on a Sunday morning to get a nice sermon, to get fired up for your Monday before the rest of your week starts to unravel. But it's another thing to really head into owning and living and believing this fully. It's holding true that reading scripture daily, we're in this 7,700 campaign for Westwoods. And I I love the idea of reading scripture daily. And I signed up for Drew's emails and we get these prompts of these are the scriptures together that we're gonna read. And it gets really easy after a few of the weeks to start ignoring Drew's emails. To be like, yeah, I know that's there and that's going on and it was good when I did it but to live this out of deeply rootedness connected in, in the daily is tough. You know, for me, it's easy for me to choose sports radio on my way to work rather than having silence and praying for how I might see God throughout my day. It's easy for me at the end of the day to turn on Netflix rather than doing a devotional as a family or connecting with my wife and children. See, we're tempted every day to be connected to multiple things that we've convinced ourselves or we think will give us life rather than being solely connected to the true vine. We build these other vines around us, social media vines, family vines, money and success vines, worthiness vines, but what fruit do they produce and when will we realize their returns are shallow? And Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And it's my own reflection of this as I, you know, prepared for this morning. And just really understanding that it's the vine that gives life to the branch. That one should be able to look at a branch, see its fruit, and say, that branch is living. It's attached, it's vital and growing from the vine to which it is deeply rooted. And so that's the invitation to us and we'll end with just a time of reflective prayer. I'll ask Chris to to come up and if you would just close your eyes and really for you asking the spirit now, the so what based on this lesson from the farm understanding the true vine and understanding God's role, Jesus's role and our role. Knowing that glory is brought to God through an abounding fruit that comes from his disciples. And so as we reflect, maybe you feel that this is an invitation that you've heard for the first time, an invitation to be a part of something, to be grafted in to something and someone that brings life beyond what's offered of this world. And so what do you do with that invitation? 
Maybe for others, it's an invitation to return. Return to something maybe that has been known and is known, but might be a little lower on the priority list these days. Maybe for some, it's just an acknowledgement of the pruning season that you're in. And in the hurt and the pain and in the exhaustion, maybe it's clinging to the truths that you might know deep down are true, but you don't really feel right now and crying out, where are you? And answering those cries with the truths that you know. Maybe for others, it's praying, God, give me a bigger vision for my life, for the fruit that you desire of my life. My thinking of the outcomes of how I'm focused on the vine and the outcomes of fruit are, are so limited. Break those limits. What would it look like of my life, a disciple manifesting abounding fruit for your glory? Leaning into how God has made you, the disciplines he's given you, the, the gifts he's given you and the communities to which he's called you. So just now a moment for reflective prayer to ask the spirit to illuminate for you the so what as we leave here.